Jesus Answers the Death Question Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the Sermon of the Second Sunday of Easter, April 11, 2021, from Christ Church, Jerusalem. Death. If death is normal, then why do we have so much trouble with it? It does not feel normal. We are wired to hate death. Many in the world cope by saying there is nothing after death or by holding on to a fuzzy hope of an uncertain eternal existence. The resurrected Jesus gives us another view of death, says Canon Daryl Fenton. Disciples who encounter the resurrected Jesus can live in transforming power, obedience, and even joy in the face of death. Continue to worship through the reading, public reading of Scripture. First reading is from 1 John. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading comes from Psalm 28. To you, Lord, I call. You are my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you remain silent, I will be like those who go down to the pit. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help. As I lift up my hands toward your holy place. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, who speak cordially with their neighbors, but harvest malice in their hearts. Repay them for their deeds and for their evil work. Repay them for what their hands have done and bring them and bring back on them what they deserve. Because they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord and what his hands have done. He will tear them down and never build them up again. Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy.
The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song I praise him. The Lord is my strength, or the Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. This is the word of the Lord. The word of God revealed in the word made flesh, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, is revelation. And so we stand for the reading of the gospel. Tonight it is taken from John chapter 20, beginning at the 19th verse. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this gospel tonight, we know we can read the story, and we know we can essentially understand it. But unless you pour out your Spirit upon us, because we've gathered in your Son's name, then we will surely miss what you have in it for each of us. So come, Holy Spirit, illumine these words, and teach us that which you wish us to hear. In the name of Jesus, Messiah, by whose death and resurrection we are redeemed. Amen. You may be seated. It was a fragrant July afternoon. High summer in southern England. And I made my way home from work driving slowly across the downs. 
Now, if you're not an Englishman, you might not know that, that the downs are, are steep, rounded top hills with chalk underneath, on top of which are sheep pastures and villages. They're always green, and they're very pastoral. Uh, my windows were open, and the fragrance of fresh-mown hay and tilled soil rolled in through the windows, and that old cliché that it was the sort of day that made you ha happy to be alive was true. And as I did, I was blissfully unaware. I walked into the kitchen of our country cottage where Sandy, my wife, was at the sink washing dishes. And her head was down. She looked up and said in a very quiet voice, I don't know how to tell you this. Your dad died this morning. Dad was 64. He, he still played basketball. Every weekend, on foot, he mowed three acres of grass at the church. That's 12 Dunhams. Every weekend. They just visited us at Christmas. They were, he was fine. I felt very little for weeks, but my life had actually changed forever. That was the day I crossed the mortality divide. When my calculations about time and what things could be deadly, how much time I might have left, all changed. And I carry that perspective to this day. It can be very useful. Now, it happens to many folk in midlife, when a parent dies or a good friend. But actually, and in the end, it happens to everybody. Which is why this gospel about life and death has great potential for us, I think. Because our perception about mortality a kind of certainty about time, time that we have, is taken on directly in today's gospel. In other words, we're going to look straight at death this evening. We're going to do it in three ways. First, we're going to review some of the ways in which human beings think about death. And then we're going to review what today's gospel says about death. And finally, we're going to ask some questions about what it will mean for us. Today's gospel makes this claim, that disciples who truly know the resurrected Jesus can live in transforming power and obedience and even joy. Disciples who know the resurrected Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, can live in transforming power and in obedience and enjoy. So let's start with those three views of death. Today's gospel is about a resurrected Jesus and about eyewitness accounts of him being risen and about Thomas, that rather famous doubting person. What do we know, actually know, about death, you and me? Well, we know that when it happens, Relationships with other human beings who are alive stop. We could add some more technical data about the process of dying. 
We could describe what happens in human society when someone dies. We could discuss better and worse ways of dying. But in the end, it's all the same, I think. This body stops. And for all, for all anybody around us knows, we're no longer there. Empirically, that's all we can prove. And since it happens to everyone, we have to admit that death is normal. Isn't it? Isn't death normal? I've often wondered if, if it's normal, why do we humans have so much trouble with it? What do you think? What do you feel about death? Deep down, where no, no one goes, where you've shut the cupboard on your feelings and hardly ever look there. That's where one of those three views lives. For some, maybe for you, it's simply the end. Nothingness. It's over. Probably you don't think that, or you wouldn't be here tonight, and you might not be listening. But just in case, you might think, oh my goodness, I wish it wasn't true, but it is. Have you ever wondered why death is a problem? There's no horror in the body stopping. We accept it in animals, like when your dog dies or your cat. It's sad when they go, but you get over it. But if we're really honest, there's something offensive about death. We can't think it's just normal. We really can't feel that it's normal. But yet, there's still just nothing at the end. You know the problem with that view? The best you have to look forward to is nothing. And a death by yourself, all alone. It's interesting. Do you remember that story, that other story about resurrection in John? John chapter 11, 22, when Jesus arrived in Bethany. A few days later, then he was asked, as you'll recall, and the text tells us he got there and people were disappointed and he went to the grave. And John writes, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews with her also weeping, he was, please note, deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. And you'll recall that famous short verse. And he wept. Was he crying out of pity or loss? No, he knew what was happening, what was going to happen. And Jesus was angry. The fact of death the insult of death to his father's creation to life and to love, it was an offense to him. Jesus had nothing to be sad about because he was going to raise Lazarus, wasn't he? 
There was nothing he had to be concerned about by way of loss. But he was furious with evil and sin and its consequences, death. And death is offensive. And that's why humans keep looking for a way to fix it. We're wired to hate it. Now, if you're my age, and you happen to be an American, you may have once thought that death was really optional. You know Walt Disney? When he died, he had himself fast frozen because he thought they could wake him up when the cure for death was found. It's kind of a typically American way to look at it. So how does the world look at death? In primarily Christian cultures, or cultures that were once Christian, especially in the spoiled Western world, we have a kind of fuzzy view of what people think the Bible says. In Far Eastern countries, it can either be merging into God and losing self-consciousness in Buddhism, or being spiritually recycled, like in Hinduism. In the West, we have a kind of do-it-yourself theism about what happens, and this is our second view. Good people, you know, nice people, they go to a nice place, and bad people, well, would rather not say, unless they belong to that other political party. What's the problem with this picture, this fuzzy idea of eternity? Number one, I, and I'm not so concerned about a theological one, it's just not logical. Humanly speaking, either we die and it's over, that nothingness. If we, if we think there's something, we've got to look for an answer. Where do we look for an answer? We look for an answer in Scripture, and what does it tell us? Scripture says either it's eternal separation from God, fully conscious, full of regret, or on the other hand, it's life with Jesus. One or the other. But think about what the world would be like if my friend Ron was right. I'm sorry, if, if, if in fact we had eternal life, but we didn't have the promises that Scripture made. Um, we could be near the ones we love forever, and they wouldn't be any more easy to live with than they are right now. Your, your arthritis would last forever and it wouldn't ever go away. You know that person you can't stand? You couldn't stand them forever. And that person to whom you feel toward bitterness because they betrayed you, you could be bitter over and over and over and over, and it could give a whole new meaning to the phrase being trapped in a loveless marriage or an endless succession of partners. You know how. I could go on, but you get the picture. Eternity, like we are, would not be such a good thing. But there's a third view, a better view, a gospel view, and it portrays a radically different understanding of death. Okay, let's go to our text and remember it to start with. So, the Sunday of Jesus' resurrection, Mary found the empty tomb in the, in the morning, remember? And then in the evening, as we heard in our text, 
All the disciples got together. It says they were frightened. They locked the door. And suddenly, who appears? Now, I don't want to seem irreverent, but you know, for those of you who know the, the television show, it was kind of a beam-me-down Scotty moment. Jesus returned as the master, the master of the universe, with his powers restored to reorganize the molecules of his body to pass through a locked door or a closed tomb. Can you imagine what they felt? They surely needed him to say, peace be with you. But it was a common greeting in the Middle East, wasn't it? They saw him, and then later they saw their fellow disciple Thomas, who hadn't made it that evening, a week later, in fact, in the same circumstances. The text doesn't tell us that they were still afraid, but because they locked the door, one might think that despite the fact that Jesus had breathed on them with the Holy Spirit, their confidence hadn't fully caught up with the blessing they'd received. And what did Thomas say? Not until I see his hands, not until I put my finger into his side, am I going to believe. Now, we tend to look down on Thomas, at least preachers often do, because he doubted. But, you know, what would you say? You know, if, if, if you hear about a really dramatic healing in a church service, but you weren't there, Don't you want to find out if it was really sure? And you know, those disciples, the ones that had seen Jesus the week before, they hadn't believed until they saw him, had they? I, I have a lot of sympathy for Thomas, and even more than that, he wasn't short of courage. We tend to look on him like he was disloyal because he doubted. But he wasn't disloyal. He understood it had a high cost, and he was prepared to pay it. You remember, right before that episode I referred to in a moment, when Lazarus was risen, before that, all the disciples were up in the Galilee, and they were talking because they had received a message from Mary that Lazarus was dying, and they didn't want to go because why? because they knew there was a price on Jesus' head because when he moved, walked from Galilee into Judea, he came under the authority of the scribes and Pharisees, and they had said, we want that man. And they all knew, and Thomas certainly knew, that the outcome of them going might be death. When Jesus finally said, we're going, what did Thomas say? Let's go and die with him a courageous disciple, skeptical, but courageous. What, um, what did Thomas and hopefully the other disciples learn from this? What did it mean to them when Thomas stops and says to Jesus, my Lord and my God, because he had seen the resurrected one and understood its power finally and said, my Lord and my God. I would posit that everything came together for Thomas in that one moment. 
that he got it finally. You know, it took the disciples a long time to get it, but when they did, they really got it. He got it that Jesus was the man who came and solved the problem of death and sin. He got it that he must accept it on Jesus' terms, and on Jesus' terms alone, it wasn't up to him or his skeptical mind or anything else to determine how it would be. He got it that what Jesus said he was going to do, he did. He conquered death by dying and rising from the dead. And he got it. He realized finally that the problem of death was solved. His relationship with, with and obedience to Jesus as his Lord now meant he finally understood that he would be forever together with Jesus in a world that was fixed, a new world, where things would not be the same as they were before. And he understood as well that he, Thomas, would also be fixed. Those disciples, all 11 of them, after that confirmation, acted on what they heard. They obeyed, and in many cases they obeyed, and even unto death with joy. You know the story of Thomas? You know what he did next? He walked all the way to India and founded a church that still exists today called Martoma, or St. Thomas. They held nothing back, not even their own lives. That's what happens, happened when they encountered the resurrection and finally got it. So, so what does it mean for us? You know, there's that, that sweet little verse at the very end of the chapter, verse 29, that says, Thomas, Jesus says to Thomas, because you've seen me, you have trusted. Blessed are those who have not seen and have trusted. My question for you is, are you among the blessed ones who have trusted, who've got it, who've got the resurrection? A couple questions. If you're among, now I should, have put, I should put it like a question. If you're listening tonight from somewhere, if you happen to be here and it's nothingness you expect, it's a very risky view. Very, very risky. And if you're concerned about it, that down there deep in that cupboard with the unopened door lies fear and apprehension, I can assure you if you don't deal with it, that fear and apprehension will continue until you realize why you should have been fearful. Or you can discover what Thomas discovered and if so, David and I would like to help you talk it through. So whether you're here or if you're somewhere abroad watching us, come and see us, write to us. You can find a place on your screen. It's far too important to leave there locked down in your soul rather than finding out for sure. It's possible, though I doubt it of any of you here in this room, but maybe some of you watching, that you have just a fuzzy hope of eternity. But you know, it's, it's time to get it down firmly. You have the scriptures. You have people who will talk it over with you wherever you are, and certainly we will as well. Of all the things in life that need to be clear, 
It's where we're headed, what the mortality divide means, and what hope lies before us. The one thing that may be more likely for all of us is that um, we do believe and trust in Jesus. But there's still a nagging doubt about whether it's all real. We really haven't gone through that Thomas moment. We believe Jesus died and rose again. We know that he forgave our sins, and yet somehow we don't make the final connection with that joy and hope and obedience. <clears throat> well, I want to tell you there's some good things you can do about it. The nature of Jesus is to answer those who ask. He tells us that if we seek, we'll find. If we knock, it will be opened. If we ask, we'll find out. And if you ask him, he will bring into your life a clear, firm vision of the reality of living with him someday. And it will bring you hope. It will change your ability to obey. And with it can come joy that withstands all the corrosive stuff that's around us every day in life. A caution. None of us can have that if we ask him while protecting pet sins or self-control. And if we don't ask him for this, but love him, trust him, you know what will happen? We'll keep on doing things for him in our own strength and being disappointed. And if we do ask, we'll find that as we have the courage to obey that he gives us, that faith of ours will grow, our trust will grow, and our longing to see him will grow as well. The famous 19th century preacher, Dwight L. Moody, said as he was dying, this is my coronation day. At a trace of fear, looking forward to seeing Jesus' face. What will it be for you? Continuing as you are? or asking for that transforming moment that comes when you finally grasp the power of Jesus' resurrection offered to you. Let me tell you why it's important. Because ahead lies a new day and a new world. We talk about it, but you know it is going to happen. A world that is forever protected from the evils of this present age, from the evils of us, us fallen people. Think about the time when you acted at your loving best, when you were most happy with the way you felt and thought and behaved. That won't even compare to what you'll be then. Isn't that who you want to be? And you know what? We start by being citizens of that kingdom right now, and we will step into the fullest presence of that king when we die. It's not something to fear. It's something to look forward to with great joy. And between now and then, we have opportunity to get to know him better and better and better, if only we'll ask for his Holy Spirit in our life. Could there be anything better? Remember what was said, I think it was last week, maybe the week before? If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, nothing matters. And if Jesus has risen from the dead, Nothing else matters. 
Here's how Paul put it. For if we trust that Jesus died and rose again, even so, they also who sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are, who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Is there any place you'd rather be? Let me close with an old prayer. One of the earliest translators of the Bible is a man named Miles Coverdale. And here's what he said. Lord Jesus, be mindful of your promise. Think of us, your servants. And when we shall depart, speak to our spirits these loving words. Today you shall be with me in joy. O oh Lord Jesus Christ, remember us, your servants, who trust in you when our tongues cannot speak when the sight of our eyes fails, and when our ears are stopped, let our spirits always rejoice in you and be joyful about our salvation, which you, through your death, have purchased for us. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.